Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. Well, good morning. It's really great to see you again. I hope that you are already enjoying the series that we've started on the book of Numbers. It's a great book. Uh, It's one of my favourites in the Bible, not least because it's action-packed. There's so much going on in this book. It's fantastic. So I hope that you're enjoying it too so far. In the last few weeks, we've heard quite a bit about the background to Numbers. We've looked in the last couple of weeks when David has been speaking about the census that was taken at the beginning of the book. And essentially, we have a story here of two generations, the generation that came out of Egypt that didn't make it to the promised land and a second generation that was born in the wilderness that eventually does get to Canaan, the promised land um, that God had promised to Israel. In lots of respects, it's a tragic story because it's a story of loss and failure. But in other respects, there's, um, you know, there's stories in here of, of overcoming as well. And this speaks to us in huge volumes about our lives. And that's why we thought it'd be really good to spend some time in the book of Numbers, because God has much to say to us through this book. You know, sometimes when I think about the book of Numbers, I think it could be called the book of wanderings because the story essentially of this generation that's lost in the wilderness is a story of wandering. It's a story of um, uh, a people going round and round in circles and that's the tragedy. When Egypt um, uh, released Israel, when Pharaoh let them go and the people of um, Israel came out of Egypt, um, if you look at a map of the, um, the area, you'll see that the Children of Israel came across the Red Sea and went south um, into the wilderness of Sinai. And they spent about two years there where God was giving them the law. And he was essentially giving them um, all the principles and the laws that they would need to live by to be his people. And also the um, way that they would need to live in order to be God's people in the land that God had promised them. You see, the land of Canaan, where they'd been sent to, where God had said, this is your land, it was a land full of people with evil practices. And God knew that he had to prepare them before he could take them into the land. And so if you look at a map um, of the area, you'll see that they headed south down to the peninsula of Sinai. um, And after spending that two years there, God led them north um, up towards um, the edge of uh, Canaan, And we know, of course, that the spies were sent in at that point to spy out the land. And unfortunately, um, the people of Israel chose to believe the negative report um, instead of the the report of faith from Caleb and Joshua. Because of that, God then condemned that generation to wander for a further 38 years um, in the desert. And actually, it says in the book of Deuteronomy, at the beginning of that book, Moses is giving um, an address to the people and re- recapping on lots of the events that took place in Numbers. And he says that it's 11 days travel to go from Horeb in the south, which is largely believed to be where Mount Sinai was, up to Kadesh Barnea in the north. That's 11 days journey. And I think it, that illustrates for us really well that this is a journey that could have taken a matter of weeks or months at the most. But actually that journey became elongated and was stretched out to years. And when Paul the Apostle writes to the church in Corinth, in his first letter to Corinth, he says in the 10th chapter, look, all of the things that happened to the people of Israel in the wilderness, it happened as a picture and a pattern 
um, to be written down for our instruction, that's us upon whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. And what Paul was saying there was that in these events, even though um, the people of Israel were making their own choices and responding and reacting um, to God's presence amongst them, God was using the events of history to lay out a picture for us to point forward to um, the coming salvation. And the word that Paul uses there is an example. It's a Greek word, typos, and it's where we get the word type from. So you may hear us talking sometimes through this series about types and shadows. And the Old Testament is full of types and shadows. Uh, Typos, the word, it means um, something that's um, uh, imprinted uh, through a blow or an impression. In other words, it's a mark that's left by something that's gone before. And in biblical terms, that means uh, it can be a place, it can be a person, it can be a whole people and events that point forward to a greater reality of something to come. The writer to the Hebrews says in the 10th chapter in verse 1 that the whole um, Levitical system of the law and, and sacrifices for atonement, all of that was a shadow and the reality was actually um, the atonement that Christ would bring through his uh, death on the cross and, and resurrection. In other words, these things in the Old Testament are pointing forward to something that was yet to come. So the book of Numbers is very much a, a book of types um, because it's giving us these um, examples of what Israel went through. And Paul says in that section of Corinthians, he says, look, they're not only written down for your instruction, he says, but be careful that you don't think that you are beyond those same mistakes. He says, be careful and humble yourself because we could make the same mistakes. So the book of Numbers is given to us as a book of instruction for a reason, because actually some of the um, errors and some of the failures of the people of Israel are things that are easy to slip into. And that's why we thought it would be really good to spend some time in the book of Numbers. It will instruct us, it will equip us, um, and hopefully then it will encourage us to be all that we can be in the purposes of God. You know, the people of Israel were called out of Egypt to go to Canaan by God, and they were called to be pilgrims on a pilgrimage um, to Canaan. But instead of being pilgrims, the tragedy is that they became nomads. They became wanderers. And I think sometimes the book of Numbers could be called the book of wanderings because that's essentially what takes place. It's the journey that should have taken weeks, but actually took 40 years. And I think um, one of the things it illustrates for us is the necessity for us to be conscious of the forward movement uh, of God's people and not wandering off track, but actually being those that press in um, to all that God has got for us. In fact, Paul the Apostle, when he wrote to the Philippians in chapter three, you will know this verse very well, but he says, one thing I do is I forget what's behind, but I'm straining forward uh, to lay hold of that for which uh, God has laid hold of me in Christ Jesus, to, to win the prize um, that God has set before me. And Paul knew constantly in his life that sense uh, of always, been, uh, always being um, forward pressing in the purposes of God, that sense of having an eternal calling and destiny that's pulling you onwards all the time and not wanting to be one who tread water not wanting to be one that got distracted with things, but instead always had God purposes in the forefront of his mind. And you know what? You and I are no different from that. 
In the last few weeks, David has been talking to us about being um, a valuable part of God's army, that every member has a valuable part to play. And that means each and every one of us, God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. God has a plan and purpose for your life. He has things that he specifically called you to do, just as he did the Apostle Paul. And he wants to get you, if I can put it this way, from A to B. He wants to get you from Canaan, um, he wants to get you from Egypt, sorry, across to Canaan. And he doesn't want you to be wandering off track. He wants you to take the most direct route to get there. You see, that picture that Paul spoke of in the Old Testament of the children of Israel, it's a picture of salvation. The God's people being called out of Egypt, which represents the world, going through the Red Sea and their enemy being cut off behind them, representing our baptism and our old life and the power of our old life being cut off. And then being filled with the Holy Spirit, which is the presence, God's presence that they had in the desert. They had a pillar of cloud by day and a and a column of fire by night to lead them on that journey. And that's a picture of us being filled with the Holy Spirit and led by the Spirit every single day of our lives onwards uh, in the purposes of God. And I think though, looking at the book of Numbers, there are three things which seemed to get in the way of that um, journey, that straight line progression for Israel, for, for um, getting them to where they needed to go. There are three things that seem to get in the way. The first of them, uh, I think, speaks to us about the fact that we can get in the way of God's purposes. We can be the one that cause ourselves to go off track. The second thing is, sometimes it seems to be that God gets in the way. God seems to be the one um, that sends us around in circles. And the third thing is that our circumstances can certainly feel like they're conspiring to come against us and stop that progress of God's purposes in our lives. And I want to just talk about each one of those, just consider them as, as we look at some things from the book of Numbers today. The first one is that um, we can be the biggest barrier or obstacle sometimes to God's purposes in our lives. And this was certainly true for the Israelites. Um, if we look in um, chapter nine, uh, of the book of Numbers. There's a section here where we um, hear about the purpose of God's presence with the Israelites in the desert. And it talks about the fire and the cloud of God's presence that would settle above the tabernacle and that they were to move only when um, it moved. In other words, they were to always follow it wherever, wherever it led them. Um, and it says in verse 20 of chapter nine, sometimes the cloud was a few days over the tabernacle, and according to the command of the Lord, they remained in camp. Then according to the command of the Lord, they set out. And sometimes the cloud remained from evening until morning, and when the cloud lifted in the morning, they set out, or if it continued for a day and a night, when the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether it was two days or a month or a longer time that the cloud continued over the tabernacle, abiding there, the people of Israel remained in camp and did not set out. But when it lifted, they set out. At the command of the Lord, they camped, and at the command of the Lord, they set out. And what that's telling us is something really important, which was that Israel had to learn to abide in the presence of God. They had to learn to abide under the shadow of the Almighty. 
and that if they were going to be the sort of people who could take this land that was full of giants, that was full of opposition and danger, then they needed to be the people that always abided closely with God, moved when he moved, stayed when he stayed. And that didn't just mean following this cloud through the wilderness, um, because anyone can just follow a cloud. It meant God wanted them to follow him in their hearts. He wanted them to trust him to go into battle when he told them to go into battle. And that's the problem. They didn't trust him. And that's how they became the obstacle to God's um, progression, uh, God's purposes in their life. If we go across just a couple of chapters, we find one of these instances of the Israelites complaining about uh, the food uh, yet again, about the manna that God had given them. And it says this in um, chapter 11 and verse four, it says, now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. Is your mouth watering yet? But now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. And the tragedy here is that the Israelites were looking back at where they'd come from and all they were remembering was some of the things that they liked to eat. They were forgetting um, all of the uh, misery that their lives had become in Egypt. They were slaves, they were enslaved. But they're here in the wilderness and they're looking back and saying, now the food of Egypt looks good because all we have is this manna. And then if we go over a few more chapters to chapter 16, there's, uh, here is an account of a rebellion that takes place against Moses and Aaron and, and the leadership of God's people. Um, some of the leaders of this rebellion are summoned by Moses to come and speak with him. Um, and it, it says this, it says in verse 12 of chapter 16, this is um, in your Bible to be headed up, Korah's rebellion. It says, and Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and they said, we will not come up. Is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us, to kill us in the wilderness? that you must also make yourself a prince over us. Moreover, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Now, did you notice there something slightly changed from the previous moaning? Now they're looking back at Egypt and saying, that was a land filled with milk and honey. That's the description that is given to Canaan. That's the description given to God's promised land the land that God had promised them, that it was a land flowing with milk and honey. And the tragedy was here that in their hearts, they're looking back at Egypt and saying, Egypt is a land flowing with milk and honey. In other words, they're looking at all that God would provide for them and saying, actually, all of those things that God will give us, we can get those things in Egypt. In other words, it's like us looking back at the world and saying, that which we've been delivered from, that which we've been saved from, all the um, things that we have in the kingdom of God, we can actually find those things back in the world. We can find the fulfillment in life. We can find happiness and joy and peace and security and strength and provision and all the things that we enjoy in the kingdom of God, all the things that God gives us, our Father's provision, we could just find those things in the world. We don't need God. And that's a real tragedy because it shows that 
in their hearts, the people of Israel still had Egypt, um, vestiges of Egypt within them. In other words, it, it was easier for God to get Israel out of Egypt than it was for him to get Israel, to get Egypt out of Israel. There were vestiges of Egypt in their hearts. And that can be true for us, that there can be vestiges of the world that remain within us when we get saved. You know, when we became believers, um, we didn't uh, suddenly become um, people with new brains. We were given new hearts, but our minds and our bodies were still the same. And that means that our old way of thinking carried on after we became believers and then begins the process of sanctification, which is the presence of the Holy Spirit in you, enabling you to see spiritual things for the first time, to see the um, principles of the kingdom of God, to see the world the way it truly is, and to see that some of those things that we depended on before, some of those things which were just purely natural, are things which actually cannot sustain us in our spirits. Instead, we need spiritual food. And, and that means that in our thinking, sometimes God has to deal with things that are still in line with the principles of this world. It means there can be strongholds in our thinking that we need to tear down. Sometimes it can be not just that we depended on things in the world or that we saw them as our source and our provision, be it money, be it um, affection or love or any of those things that are purely natural, but actually sometimes it is things that have been spoken over us, about us in our lives. And when we came into the kingdom of God, God said, no more, this is who you are now. And we need to be those who say, I'm gonna to listen to the voice of God in my life. And anything else that comes in um, place of that, anything else that contradicts God's promises over my life, contradicts what God says about me, I'm gonna tear down that stronghold in my thinking. The problem was is that the Israelites had not torn down this stronghold in their thinking. They still had this um, rosy view that somehow Egypt could provide all that they needed and Egypt was better than what God had promised them in, the, in, in Canaan. So that seems to me, to me to be the biggest barrier to coming on in the purposes of God is actually us and dealing with those things within us. And we need to be those that are absolutely determined to do that. But you know, also when we look in the book of Numbers, it also seems that, that God is sometimes the barrier, isn't it? I mean, we've got this big time when we get to chapter 14 and this is where the spies have come back from Canaan. They, they were 40 days in Canaan spying out the land and, and the 10 spies give their negative report and Joshua and Caleb, they bring their report of faith and what we find here is that um, they don't believe the report of faith. And God says, this generation will be destined to die in the wilderness. This generation will be wanderers for 38 years. Instead of being pilgrims, they will simply be nomads that go nowhere. And that's a tragedy. But, you know, we have to look at what God was doing here. What God was doing was protecting his people. Because if they had gone in, with those kind of hearts, if they had gone in with that lack of reliance on him, then they would have been slaughtered. In actual fact, we find um, as we read here that um, 
This is in chapter 14, verse 39. Moses tells the people what, what God has decided that they would not enter and that their generation would die. And they just say, here we are. We will go up to the place that the Lord has promised for we have sinned. But Moses says, do not go up for the Lord is not among you, lest you be struck down before your enemies. They went up despite that and they were struck down before their enemies. God was protecting them because they were not ready. And you know, there are times in our lives where God seems to be the barrier, where God seems to be the one that says no or closes the door, but he will only do that to protect us. He will only do that to stop us going down an avenue that will not be good for us or going into something that we are not yet ready for. He is preparing us for each stage of the journey. So remember, we have to stay with him. When he says stay, we stay. When he sets out, we set out. And that's true for all of us in all that we're doing, but especially in your own life, that God will be doing things in your life, dealing with different areas, leading you into different things. And it's really important that we are those that abide with God and say, Lord, what's next? What's right for this season? Instead of charging off into things that we may think we've been promised, but actually is not right for the moment. The third thing that um, obviously gets in the way is the circumstances that the Israelites faced. Um, and these were pretty big circumstances, weren't they? The report of the spies was that the guys walking around in Canaan were huge and some of them were descendants of giants. Now, this isn't hyperbole. This isn't just exaggerated uh, language. It's believed that some of the inhabitants of this land were huge, were big, were much bigger in stature than the Israelites. But you know what? That doesn't matter when God's purposes are at stake. That doesn't matter when God has promised something. It doesn't matter how big the circumstances. The problem that the Israelites had is that they would often blame their circumstances for a lack of progress without realizing that actually the circumstances weren't the problem. They were the problem. What was in their heart was the problem. So we find uh, in chapter 14, when um, Joshua and Caleb are standing before the people and they're trying to persuade them and they say to them in verse nine of chapter 14, do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us, do not fear them. So Joshua and Caleb, they looked and they acknowledged that there was a big problem in front of them a huge problem, but the key for them is that their protection is removed from them. In other words, they saw what God had said, which is that they would take the land. They saw the problem, which stood in the way of that. But then they said, but God will remove that natural strength, that opposition, the strength of the problem. God will render it powerless because he has said we will go through. And in actual fact, they said, for they are bread for us. I mean, that is bold and courageous language, isn't it? That they looked at a problem and they said, bring it on. That problem is just bread for me. In other words, it's just fuel for the fire of God that's within me. And I think that's a really encouraging word for us in these times because we are facing circumstances that are difficult. Um, you are facing circumstances in your own life and you'll know what's going on with you. There may be things that are really standing in opposition to you. It may be that you feel very constricted by the current environment in which we're living, the issues that we're having to deal with. 
But you know what? No matter what those issues, no matter what the constraints, no matter what the opposition, God will do what he said he will do, and he will do it through you. The Apostle Paul knew this really well. And when he sat in a jail cell in Rome and he wrote a letter to the Philippians, he said right at the beginning, he's saying, he said, I'm stuck in a jail cell right now. I'm surrounded by walls and bars and guards. But you know what? What has happened to me has only served to advance the gospel because he knew that nothing can constrict the purposes of God. When he writes to the church in Rome, he says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. And he lists all the possible things that could come between us and God and between us and his love. And he said, nothing can come in the way of God's love. And, you know, I think he was writing those words, not just about us who know him, but I also think he was writing those words about those who don't yet know him, but are called according to his purpose. You see, he said previously, God will work all things together for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. There are people out there in the world right now who don't know him who have never maybe even heard of him, but they are already called to be part of the kingdom of God. And therefore, there is nothing in all creation that can separate them from that love. And the agency that God has created in order to um, lay hold of those people, in order to bring them into God's purposes, is us, his body, the church. And therefore, there's nothing that constrict the church, nothing that can hold it back. There are no rules or regulations that can constrict the work of God in our generation. So let's be those that take courage. Let's be those that look at what seems to be an opposition, what seems to be a problem and say, this is what God has said he will do. And I choose to believe the report of faith and not accept the limitation of the circumstances. Let's be like Joshua and Caleb and say, be strong and courageous and take hold of all the land that God has set before us to take hold of. So the book of Numbers, it's a fantastic book, isn't it? There's so much it teaches us about understanding that we can be an obstacle to God's purposes in our life and that we need to deal with things. A whole generation had to die because sometimes things in us need to die. Some things we need to take to the cross and kill them because they are vestiges of the old, they're vestiges of Egypt that will only distract us and hold us back from God's purposes. And there are times when God will step in and he'll protect us. But you know what? The prayer of Aaron over God's people was, may God bless you and protect you. May he put a hedge of protection around you. And that's what God does. But we will often face circumstances. Jesus said, we will always have trouble in this world, but take um, courage because I have overcome the world. So let's be those that when we see the circumstances, believe the report of faith, We're only interested in what God has said about that situation. And let's be those that push through as the agents of God's kingdom in this world. I really hope that you've enjoyed this message today. I really hope that you've been blessed by our ministry. And we will see you again soon. Take care and God bless. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching 